breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode of Reform This on Blaze TV's podcast network. An honor to be with all of you. I hope you're looking for a podcast that uh, talks about the things that many others may feel are politically incorrect. Others may feel just are a little too sensitive to be touched on. And as we see now, a free speech being uh, obstructed and dismissed from YouTube, from Twitter, from Facebook. I hope on podcasts you can you get the unfiltered, unvarnished opinions of an American patriot, a Muslim who believes that we should confront the ideas that begin Muslims down the conveyor belt of radicalization. We should confront the challenges to free speech, the challenges to trying to implement blasphemy laws here in the West. Week to week on Reform This, you and I together can confront those issues. Whatever you might be doing, commuting, sitting in the backyard, soaking in some rays, working around the house, listening to your favorite podcasts. I hope we shed a little light here on the things that people just won't. And I look at the the front lines of the Islamist issue domestically and globally and talk about solutions, not just belly aching about the problems and whining about the threat, but actually talking to you about solutions. So... This week is no different that uh, a couple issues just sort of glare out at me that we have to talk about. I want to talk mainly about anti-Semitism. It has come up a lot. We spoke last week in uh, a couple podcasts now about the radical Islamist members of Congress that seem to be getting larger and larger platforms that nobody seems to be challenging. But their challenge that I think needs to be addressed is the depths of their anti-Semitism. And nobody's really looked at Islamist anti-Semitism. How do you find it? Why does it keep rearing its head no matter how much they try to apologize? They just can't get past their anti-Semitism. We'll talk about that. Saudi Arabia, yes, they might be a regional ally for us, but wow, did they step in it this week when it comes to human rights, not only for themselves, but in China. So, And a few other things we'll talk about. Um, I want to start with the free speech issue. That's one of the reasons it was top of mind as I talked about my podcast. You know, Tommy Robinson, who I haven't talked about much, but uh, certainly has had his issues. And I don't even want to go into... um, I don't even want to go into what his issues are and what his comments are because uh, I want to have them in front of me to be able to talk to you about the substance of them and why they should not be banned. And and uh, at the end of the day, uh, I think that the free speech bill of rights for the internet, for online, for social media, needs to be brought to the forefront of our global agenda. Global agenda for freedom needs to be about a free speech bill of rights because this week, Tommy Robinson was banned from social media and then anyone that had also posted the, I think it's the Panorama documentary, which, by the way, was a BBC documentary that he posted, was also banned. Raheem Kassam from Breitbart, the London chief editor, and a number of others also found their Facebook accounts locked out. 
So regardless of what you think about Tommy Robinson, and again, I'm not a fan of his work, uh, but seriously, it is the people who we are not fans of that we should defend, that we should, as Voltaire said, I or maybe it wasn't Voltaire, there's a debate as to who actually said it, uh, uh, some uh, scholar in the 19th century, but bottom line is, is I may disagree vehemently with what you say, but I would die to protect your right to say it. So at what point did all of a sudden speech become a weaponized factor that you can use any comment that then trickles down to some kind of loosely proven radicalization that then becomes incitement. And this is what the Saudis use to suppress speech. This is what the Islamists use to suppress speech. And they then claim that that's what the conservatives do. They they, they attack the right to say that they are responsible. Breivik's attacks on innocence in Norway, in which he killed children at a school because they found books of anti-jihadists, somehow they became to blame. Seriously, I've got educational material that includes Olaki, that includes Bin Laden, that includes Hitler. Does that then change the fact that I'm a civil libertarian and and an American patriot who believes in my constitution will die to defeat fascists all over the globe? You read things to understand them. The art of war is knowing your enemy. So, obviously, you can't, that's for people who are peaceful, people who are violent. What they read, they'll find whatever they want out of what they read. They will find excuses for their own psychopathology, demonization, and militarization of their ideas through whatever they want to read. And the left seems to conveniently ignore when militants who shoot up schools end up being found to have very liberal origins. So Tommy Robinson's case, I think, is a case that's sort of starting to show that we're we're seeing people like Michelle Malkin. We're seeing people like uh, other conservatives that are being shut out of social media to have their accounts locked out without any explanation. And this is the other thing is your account gets locked. Who do you call? You put a help request on the little eye at the corner of your social media screen and that somehow that's supposed to be a response? Who do, who do you end up talking to? Some sh- Some little intern that happens to be working in the summer job for Facebook or for Twitter? We can then respond by getting mad and getting our followers to to uh, exclaim disgust. Remember when uh, uh, Loomer and her videos, uh, as, as much as you may have found some of the things she did irritating, they were also often brave and courageous. She was removed and deplatformed from Twitter. Now, the Ramadan Foundation, using the name of our religious, most religious month of the year in the Islamic calendar to name themselves, posted that they welcomed the decision by Facebook to ban the well-known fascist Tommy Robinson from the platforms of Facebook and Instagram. I can reveal, this is what Mohammed Shafiq, the CEO of the Ramadan Foundation, said, I can reveal that I recently held meetings with Facebook 
representatives in London to discuss the concern of the British Muslim community. This guy was speaking for the Muslim community. That Tommy Robinson's continued presence on social media was leading to further radicalization of his supporters and brainwashing them into supporting his racism toward all Muslims. I want to thank Facebook for their action in banning this individual and their promises to take taken <laughs> taken down serious action has been taken against hate speech whenever it comes from. Do these idiots realize, do these Islamists realize that that same logic could be used to ban the Quran? That non-Muslims could say that the Quran is, is cited by ISIS and cited by radicals and it thus is the first steps in their radicalization and should thus be banned. That's exactly what the Chinese do. And that is complete unmitigated BS. So, yet the Islamists, when it serves their purpose, will use blasphemy laws, will suppress the free speech of people who are as provocative as Tommy Robinson or others in order to make examples of them, put fear into their eyes and hearts so that they can dominate in a theocratic way. He, Shafiq goes on, I have to be clear, this is not about free speech. He says, oh, really? Or silencing criticism or questioning of Islam and Muslims. This is about hate speech and hatred towards one community, which is evident across various networks. Oh, so who defines hate speech, buddy? Tommy Robinson has spent years directing hatred towards Muslims, targeting innocent Muslims with his inflammatory speeches and videos on social media, Shafiq says. We know the Finsbury Park Mosque terrorist Darren Osborne was inspired by Tommy's videos and his targeting of one community. Therefore, we know what effects these videos and posts have been on our community. So what about the radicals that came and had attended the Finsbury Park Mosque that then committed acts of terror? This sword cuts both ways, Mr. Jihadi. Oh, I'm sorry, nonviolent jihadi. Or is it violent jihadi today? He said, I can confirm that the Ramadan Foundation has reached out to Google and YouTube. So they're going beyond Facebook. Now, Google and YouTube representatives here in London to push them to take similar action to ban Tommy Robinson, Tommy Robinson and look forward to meeting them in the coming weeks. If you promote hatred towards Muslims or other minority communities, the Ramadan Foundation will not remain silent. A threat, ladies and gentlemen. They now did a victory lap after the deplatforming of Tommy Robinson. And as they do the victory lap, announce that they're going to be headed towards other major medias. Where is, where, where is our internet Bill of Rights, Free Speech Bill of Rights. We need it now. Majid Nawaz has come out also in London. He has a large program. He's part of our, his organization, Quillian Foundation, is part of our reform movement. He has also expressed disgust with the Islamist apologist who, despite many Muslims' disagreement with what Tommy Robinson says or does, Deplatforming him is not the answer. It is the beginning of a cultural battle that we Muslims, and especially the Islamists, don't really want to fight. You really want to go down this pathway? The Islamist championing of blasphemy laws is actually... 
actually what would radicalize antagonists of Islamic doctrine, much more so than an individual that might be over-interpreting or over-associating certain radical ideas with the Muslim community. That's not hate speech. That is a debate about the extent of jihadization. That is a debate about the interpretation of Scripture. And if we can't have that debate, we don't deserve to have a respectable religion. As a Muslim, if I cannot allow people to debate the fact that whether the Prophet Muhammad was an Islamist, whether the Prophet Muhammad was a barbaric warrior, or whether he was a compassionate soldier in a war that he had to fight rather than a war that he chose to do so as a fascist. People are free to say that. I, as a believing Muslim, believe that he was merciful, he was peaceful. And just like I served in the U.S. Navy and would never want to die for anything else at the time, the Prophet Muhammad had to fight some wars. Now, you may see that as apologetics, but that's my belief. But if people disagree with that and want to write books about the evil of the Muslim military under the Prophet Muhammad, that is completely their freedom. Completely their freedom. And if we do not defend that freedom, we do not deserve the respect of a legitimate religion because we are hiding behind the cloak of speech protection and prohibition rather than allowing the, the, the antiseptic of sunlight to shed away their ideas or our ideas and have a debate. We need to have a free speech bill of rights, ladies and gentlemen. We need to have avenues in which there's transparency about how things are removed, what, what violated them, who's adjudicating this, and have a process, a public process for the suppression of free speech. When you take away someone's driver's license, and that's what this is. This is, a, uh, in many ways, it might be a private corporation, but if you privatized highways, you still would have license. And if you take away somebody's driver's license, which means banning them from driving, you have to have a legal process to adjudicate that. These Islamists love it that the, the, whoever they hate ends up getting their license taken and they can't be on Twitter. Now, if you're somebody like Alex Jones and you're a crazy nutcase, people cheer. But really, do we think Alex Jones should be deplatformed or simply made into a laughing stock and marginalized? If the only way we can defeat nutcases and psychos like Alex Jones is by taking away their microphone, they're going to go underground, as they've done, and it'll be harder to expose them and defeat them. And as I've said many times, as I've said many times, one of the reasons Europe has a much bigger problem with hate speech is not only some of the origins and, and, and ideological differences with America, but at the end of the day, the speech laws, I think, push things underground and make it more difficult for the public and the government to monitor speech radicalization. An important subject. I'll continue to follow it here because in Muslim Reformation, 
We moderates that believe in countering political Islam and its theocratic imams with millions of followers on Twitter can only do so if we don't feel the fear of being deplatformed by the Islamists and being called Islamophobes. I reject the term Islamophobia because it is a term used to strangle criticism of Islamism and thus of their interpretations of Islam. So, think about that. As you're sitting around the dinner table, as we raise our children, we, we teach them to ask questions. We teach them to feel freely to even question God. Is Let me ask you something. Ask the Islamists, is hate speech against what they feel, whatever, however they describe hate speech, is that more offensive or is actually the open rejection of God more offensive? Theologically, if you talk to orthodoxy of any faith, the, the, the rejection of the existence of God is one of the most offensive things that can be said to a believer. And yet, it's very modern to have our closest, most moral friends be folks that are atheists that just rationally do not believe in God. And that's a very human thing to reject God and and to believe that somehow you need to have the proof in front of you. There are human beings that are scientists or analysts that are rational, and that's what they believe. Now, I I reject that. I, I, my entire existence and humility is based on a belief in God, but that can actually be interpreted as speech that is offensive when you reject God. And yet we protect that with every breath as being one of the core freedoms, which is whether you call it heresy, apostasy. At the end of the day, if people do not have the freedom to apostate and reject God, then they have no freedom. There is no freedom of religion. There is no freedom of speech. So somehow now if Tommy Robinson or whoever else, yes, should there be prohibitions against speech that calls for imminent violence, imminent acts of attacks against a named individual or an obvious entity? Yeah, that should be prohibited, because that is what the incitement clause, and there have been cases of the Supreme Court, Barbary versus Ohio, KKK case, but those are very, very few and far between. The slippery slope is just too far if you extend that to being things that then lead, whether it's by science or by assumption, to acts of violence. I find it no different than, yes, you have a law against drunk driving that can hurt somebody because you are obviously driving violently and erratically. But drinking... And inebriation cannot be outlawed because you might get in a car. That's absurd. One's a victimless crime, if you believe in no drinking, and the other is getting on a road with other vehicles and having victims. That's the Ramadan Foundation in the UK, folks, is doing victory laps about their Islamist victory with Google coming up, YouTube coming up. And check the box for Facebook. Check the box for Instagram.
Next, I have to tell you, I was outraged by Saudi Arabia's cheering, cheering of what they're doing to the Uyghur Muslims. Yes, Mohammed bin Salman, Saudi Arabia's crown prince, earlier this week defended China's use of concentration camps for Muslims, saying it was Beijing's right. He said, China has the right to carry out anti-terrorism and de-exterminization, work for its national security. Prince Mohammed, who's been in China signing multi-million dollar trade deals, much to the annoyance of his Western allies, was quoted in the Chinese state television. Chao Ping, China's leader, told the crown prince that the two countries must strengthen international cooperation on de-radicalization to prevent the infiltration and spread of extremist thinking. Salman said Saudi Arabia's crown prince on Friday defended China's use of concentration camps for Muslims, saying it was Beijing's right. He said it twice. China has detained an estimated one million Uyghur Muslims, ladies and gentlemen, in concentration camps, and they have somewhere between 15 and 20 million. So a significant portion of them are now encamped. The Uyghur are ethnic Turkic groups that practice Islam and live in western China and parts of Central Asia, if you're not aware. Beijing had accused the minority in the West and the Xinjiang region of supporting terrorism and implementing a surveillance regime. Uyghur groups appealed to Saudi's powerful young prince to take up their cause. That was idiotic. You know, poor guys, they probably didn't know where to go. Part of it is the Saudis were are the seat of the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. So the, the neo-caliphate is seated there. So the Uyghurs turned to them for help. Now, that was probably not a smart thing to do, but okay, so if the Chinese think they're Islamists, which I would be concerned about if they were turning to Saudi Arabia, but by the way, the Chinese fascist communists got the Saudi king, the theocrat autocrats, to side with their government rather than with their own faith community. Muslim leaders have so far not broached the issue with China, which has in recent years become an important trading partner with the Middle East. And that's the issue. It's all about monies. It's all about trade. It's all about filling their coffers. It doesn't matter about their own people. It doesn't matter about the concentration camps, the fact that they're not even released until they reject Islam. They're forced to eat pork. They're forced to rip pages out of the Quran. They're forced to do things that are obviously anathema to being Muslim. And yet the world doesn't seem to be paying attention. Why isn't the world paying attention? And you know, I have to tell you that uh, I, I think this opportunity now with President Trump uh, trying to put more pressure on China as he puts more pressure on North Korea and North Korea even continues to exist because they're given some bypass and sanctions from China. All of these pressures are a good opportunity for us to begin to look at the humanitarian catastrophes that are happening under the Chinese. And the most poignant one globally is the religious freedom abomination happening to the Uyghur Muslims.
But these Islamic Islamist leaders don't care. To them, it's about trade. And I think it's an important point to make that at the end of the day, it may be easier to say, oh, that's a Muslim problem, let the Muslims solve it. The establishment, the Muslim establishment is the problem. The Islamist autocrats, government leaders, clerics, and imams, they're not about religious values or even their own people. They are about power, control, and hegemony. Whatever mechanism they can do it, whether it's the Assad from his own Shia wing working with the Russians, who are very anti-Islamic, and yet they work with them along hand-in-hand with the Khomeinists because they're anti-Sunni, so they share common enemies, but they don't care who they're in bed with. They don't care what the Russians do to the Chechnyans or to the other Muslim minorities. They don't care what the Iranians are doing to non-Khomeini Shia, to other Sunnis, to, to other minorities. No, it's common enemies, common enemies. That's the way mafia teams work, mafia families. And that's what these monarchs are. It's about the mafia. So, listen, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in exposing the areas in which we can begin to reform. But I think for credibility in the West, there's nothing that can change the narrative that the Islamists are spewing about Western freedom and liberty than to stand up for Millions that are headed towards a holocaust in their concentrate literal concentration camps in Western China, than for the world to take up that cause and say whether we're Buddhist, Sikh, Hindu, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, or atheist. We stand with the Uyghur Muslims. We stand against concentration camps. We stand against the rejection of personal integrity to decide what you want to pray or not pray, fast or not fast, eat pork or not, or drink alcohol, whatever it might be. I don't see that on the homepage of Ramadan Foundation that's all upset and thankful to Facebook for banning Tommy Robinson. No, they don't care about the Uyghur, or they might do it with a few lines. Why aren't they getting... Because they don't want to take on the Saudis. They don't want to take on the Qataris or or others that don't seem to care about the Uyghur Muslims. Last, and I I think we're not going to be able to do it justice this time, but is the issue of anti-Semitism, and I promise to continue this discussion next time. But, you know, you look at the statements. Ilhan Omar bent over backwards trying to apologize about her old tweets, and then... She even went further to say that she didn't realize that talking about Benjamins and APAC and money control was tropes of obvious conspiracy theories about Jewish control and anti-Semitism, and that somehow she wanted to separate these things. So I think it's important, and I can't underscore this enough, I, it is so important that we understand what the root causes of anti-Semitism are, what, where they come from, what are the pathways that lead to the anti-Semitic trope. Just a few days ago, just a few days ago, when they supposedly now 
had put back behind them the anti-Semitism. And you had Nancy Pelosi and Ilhan Omar on the front page of the Rolling Stone, which I just found as an abomination. Ladies and gentlemen, what does the Rolling Stone editors, secular liberal Hollywood types, have in common with Ilhan Omar, a fundamentalist Islamist, other than their socialism? And their identity politics, there's zero in common with Ilhan Omar. She is truly a prop. And then talk about props. Rashida Tlaib make a, made a fool out of herself this week as she tried to attack Congressman Mark Meadows, saying that the witness being brought the next day, Lynn Patton, who happened to be African-American, happened to work for the Trump Organization and now is with the Department of Housing and Urban Development, to come and proudly talk about how she felt and truly felt in the core of her heart her her boss was not a racist. Rashida preempted that by saying that it was racism to bring her in as a prop, dehumanizing her. And oh, by the way, I think there's nobody that would has really had understanding of props more than a Islamist who appears on Rolling Stone, who appears on uh, uh, many of these uh, venues and um, does so because of identity politics. Her friend Ilhan Omar is a hijabi prop, often put there, even though Pelosi disagrees with all of her positions, most of their positions. The Rolling Stone, do you think the editors agree with her? I don't think so. So the anti-Semitism has now gone on steroids where you see a nexus. We saw it with the Women's March. We saw it with so many on the left where it has become vogue to be anti-Israel and the new anti-Semitism is anti-Israel policy. Absolutely, you can disagree with a, a state's policy, but when it's blanket and when it doesn't even recognize the legitimacy of that state doesn't recognize its democratic processes, but talks about it as if it's one entity, ignores the reality of the diversity of its of a debate between Likud and Labour and all the different parties, that is racism. And yet, even after all the tweets from weeks ago, Rashida Tlaib and Elhan Omar get up at Busboys and Poets in Washington just a few days ago, and say, Ilhan says, what I'm fearful of because Rashid and I are Muslim, that a lot of our Jewish colleagues, a lot of our constituents, a lot of our allies go to thinking that everything we say about Israel to be anti-Semitic because we are Muslim, she explained. To me, it's something that becomes designed to end the debate because you get in this space of, yeah, I know intolerance looks like, and I'm sensitive when someone says, the words you used and resemblance of intolerance. And I'm cautious of that and I feel pained. But it's almost as if every single time we say something, regardless of what it is we say, we get to be labeled something. And at the end of that discussion, because we end up defending that nobody ever gets to have the broader debate of what's happening with Palestine. So it's a conspiracy theory again, ladies and gentlemen. These people cannot get beyond. And I'm saying these people, I'm talking about Islamists. The Islamists cannot get beyond their anti-Semitism, their collectivization, and their tropes about dual loyalty and all this other 
complete bigotry against the Jewish community and their hate for America because they tie their bigotry against the Jewish community to their hate for America. The two feed off one another. She then went on to say, so for me, I want to talk about the political influence in this country that says it's okay to push for allegiance to a foreign country. There it is again, the dual loyalty crap. So the anti-Semitism, you know, I testified to Congress about Islamist anti-Semitism, and the network is deep. The ideologies are deep. Many scholars have written texts about the anti-Semitism of political Islam, connecting it to interpretations, especially chapter 5 in the Quran, that has some pretty strident things that are said about the Jewish community. And Muslims have to come to terms with that. We need to understand, reinterpret it, and have a conversation, a frank, honest conversation about what those passages mean when it talks about going to war with that Jewish tribe that's identified, when it talks about the Jewish community in a collective way in some points. And then to say that that and a few other passages and then tons of passages in the Hadith, which are the discussions of the Prophet, Hamas's doctrine, which says kill a Jew behind every stone, doesn't even come from the Quran, it comes from Hadith. Try yourself, ladies and gentlemen, pull that Hadith that says Kill a Jew behind every stone, which I reject. I do not believe the Prophet Muhammad ever said that, but that's the way to reform it. Is One way is to say it's not legitimate. So I don't believe that's legitimate. And many scholars agree, some disagree, especially the Saudi Wahhabis, the Al-Azhar, Salafi Jihadis believe that's a legitimate passage. But if you don't believe it's legitimate, that's fine. So... Find that on the internet, print out that hadith, and take it to your Muslim friends at their mosque and whatever, and ask them, will they sign that this is not legitimate hadith? If they think it's legitimate, then ask them how they can be trusted as not being anti-Semitic. Ask Ilhan Omar next time on CNN or MSNBC, instead of fawning over her courage and her hijab, ask her what she believes about the hadith that says, kill a Jew behind every stone. What does that mean to her? And then you take the clerics that each have millions of followers on Twitter and they give sermons about Holocaust denial, they give sermons about Jews in a pejorative, fascistic, bigoted way out of the top 20 Twitterati in Saudi Arabia, 14 or 15 are clerics that have pretty hateful sermons that they give, many of them. So next week, tune in, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to continue this conversation and talk about the infrastructure of anti-Semitism in theology and what we need to confront and how we confront it as Muslims who love our faith but want to come to terms with beyond tolerance into true pluralism not only in dealing with our Jewish brothers and sisters, but with all faiths and with recognizing the, the strong alliance with the state of Israel, the belief in the state of Israel, the fact that the Quran, the only state recognized even in the, in the Quran itself, is the state of Israel. So, a lot to talk about. 
And as always, it's an honor to have you listening. Hope the rest of your day goes beautifully. Stay strong. Tell your friends about our podcast. Go to blazetv.com podcasts and backslash podcasts and, and or go to iTunes, SoundCloud, and look up Reform This. Please tell them to share, to subscribe, because this is the place where we breach the nexus between the East and the West, between the Islamist world, the Muslim-majority world, and with freedom and liberty here in the West. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.